I get to say good morning instead of good evening. So good morning. Uh, it's been it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to be with you all, and um, I, I came already appreciating Wellspring. I've long appreciated Wellspring, and that appreciation's only grown. It's only deepened. Uh, it's like like I said to Marlene as we were leaving. Uh, I don't know what evening it was. Friday evening, maybe. I was like, wow, you know, this is intense. If you really want to get to, to know a community, you have to have services there for a little while, and then you're really going to get to know them. So I've gotten to know a little bit more, and what I've gotten to know, I've appreciated. Um, I've appreciated your, your thoughtfulness, your attentiveness. You all pay attention, and uh, I appreciate that. And, and just like, just like any time, it's, 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 it's honoring and it's humbling. It's humbling to be asked to, uh, to participate in your life this way. So, so thank you. We're, we're very grateful. We're going, to, we're going to take a close look at Matthew 13. So if you don't have your Bibles open there, I'd invite you to Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, verses 1 through 17. Um, and, and this draws to a conclusion what we've been talking about, the, the, the heart, our hearts. And, and what I'm hoping to draw our attention to today is something kind of like last night, except more turned now to saying, okay, so we're talking about cultivating a kingdom heart. Do you want a kingdom heart? This, this passage gives us a picture of what a kingdom heart is like. And, and when we have, when we're growing, when we're cultivating a kingdom heart, some of what this passage shows us is where we're going to look to find the kingdom. Where will we find it? And you can kind of keep in the wings Daniel 7, 9 to 18. I'll be roping that in sometimes uh, as we go along. But we'll be focusing on Matthew 13. I'd like to begin here with a confession. Uh, it's a confession that's worth making a number of times. It's a confession that we can make to each other sometimes. But that confession is this. I have trouble seeing the kingdom. Okay? I have trouble seeing it. Um, we, we have a good neighbor. He lives just across the road from us. His name is Eric. And... Um, one afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, we're heading off to cell group. And I knew that our van was kind of low on gas. The light had been on. I didn't know how long. The needle was pretty low. And sure enough, we come up out of our driveway. We get about 100 yards down the road, and it, just, it lurches. We run out of gas, and that's it. Managed to get off the road and uh, into about three houses down from us. Her, her name's Jolene. We got into Jolene's little drive that she has, and... That was it. And what do you know, my other, one of my other neighbors there, uh, John, he's mowing his grass, so he sees this all happen. And here comes Eric and his wife, and they're coming back from the little uh, market down the road from us, and they're walking back from that. Got a few groceries, and look great. Not only did we run out of gas, but we're a spectacle, and we're going to be late to sell group. And this is not great. And, and Eric's the kind of guy, he's always really eager to help. He loves to help. He's constantly offering his tools and his stuff. You know, hey, if you ever need it, just, just come on by. And he means it. He means it. So this is good for him. It's bad for me. 
you know. He, he wants to do a neighborly favor. That's who Eric is. He likes to, do, he likes to offer neighborly favors. I didn't want a neighborly favor. Um, so here's my confession. He wanted to help. I didn't want his help. He wanted to offer just a little bit of kingdom. I didn't want that. I didn't want that because, because I was more interested. I was more interested in how late we were. Okay. I was more interested in why the van wasn't starting after I went and got three gallons of my own gas. Thank you very much, Eric. I got my three gallons of my own gas and put them in. It still wouldn't start, just turning over. And then, oh, well, you know, I'll go get my code reader and I got, I got some gas too and I'll go get that. And so he hooks up his code reader and he's like, okay, we're doing that. And I'm like, good grief, Eric. Like, that's not gonna help us. It's just that maybe the fuel pump's out or something. And I was more interested in that than that here he is helping me. More interested in why the van wasn't starting, why his diagnoses were unhelpful, and what was going on. And he puts two gallons of his gas in, starts right up. You know, I have trouble seeing the kingdom. Sometimes I'm preoccupied by my own need to be uh, unhelped, by my own need to be, um, oh, I don't know, my need to be independent, and my need to kind of refuse his help. I have trouble seeing it. An observation here is that God has wanted a kingdom. He's long wanted a kingdom of people whose hearts are turned toward him, whose hearts are in it. Like we said last night, and the people of God have been persistently wondering, so where is it? Say you want this kingdom, where is it? And here I want to turn toward Matthew. In Matthew, Jesus' ministry, there's about seven, eight chapters, and then Jesus' ministry begins um, oh, about nine chapters previous to Matthew 13 where we're at. Here we go in Matthew 4. When he, he began to preach, and he's preaching good news, Jesus is. He's preaching good news. That's the gospel. That's what gospel means. It's good news. And he goes through Galilee, Matthew tells us. He goes through Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That's telling us a little bit, what's this kingdom like? And we come to learn, we come to learn as we read that, that there's an order, there's a kingdom and there's an order with Jesus at its head that brings the world to peace and flourishing and justice. That's the kingdom of God. And while Jesus comes and he preaches that good news, he also warns the enemies of the kingdom, and John does this before him, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay. So Jesus and sees, and John the Baptist, they see that for the kingdom of God to take root and to flourish, other kingdoms need to be driven out. There's other kingdoms too, they need to be driven out. 
And Daniel, Daniel gives some language to this in that, in that wild, apocalyptic, visionary way that Daniel does. He, 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 gives, he gives some language to these other kingdoms. He says, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. The horn is just a, it's a picture of authority. And this authority is counter to the authority of the ancient of days. Yes, pompous words the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. There are real other kingdoms out there, counterfeit kingdoms. They have their power taken away, but there's, there's nonetheless, they've got a season, they've got a time. And it's easy to miss, we don't always read with Daniel in the back of our minds like this, but it's easy to miss this theme of conflict driving forward in the Gospel of Matthew. Here Jesus is one like the Son of Man, and he's engaging the enemies of the kingdom of the Ancient of Days. Of the 24 miracles recorded in Matthew, seven of those have to do with casting out demons. Um, You could see this You could see this like the hand-to-hand combat of the spiritual world. It's Jesus recognizing and Jesus confronting and Jesus overpowering spiritual forces that bring people into bondage, that push them out of community, that take their voices away, that bring them into patterns of addiction and compulsion, whatever these things are. And the people, the people, they're amazed. They see Jesus, and they see this happening. Jesus is proclaiming the gospel, and he's bringing the kingdom of God in and driving out these other kingdoms, and they're amazed. And Daniel saw him coming. Daniel testifies of Jesus. Behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near to him, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve them. Do you see him? Do you see him here? That's Jesus. This language is not too strong. He's here in Matthew and he's cutting this path of conquest. He's healing all kinds of sicknesses and diseases and he's casting out demons and giving peace to the tormented. Like Psalm 145 says, the Lord upholds all who fall and raises up those who are bowed down. And he brings the reign of heaven into contact with earth. The effective reach of God's reign grows. His kingdom expands. And where it does the blind see, the brokenhearted are bound up. There's thriving, there's justice, there's mercy, there's peace. And this is leaping way ahead, but then, then as the story goes, and it's the true story, after defeating death by death, Jesus dies and he uses that to defeat death. He's installed at the right hand of the Father forever to reign. That's the gospel of the kingdom in a nutshell. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations, Psalm 145.13 says. 
or in Daniel, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So, so don't miss this. Don't miss this. That the, the significance of this is, you know, that this kingdom that Jesus announces, this gospel that he gives, it wasn't just some kind of phase. It wasn't just a phase that came and went with Jesus. And now we just kind of twiddle our thumbs, waiting around until he comes again. That's how some people can see it. That's how some Christians talk about it. It's, a, it's just an impossible ideal. That's only meant to show us how broken we are, the gospel of the king. That's all it is. It's more than that. It's more than that. It doesn't find its fulfillment now, right? But part of the good news is that it's a permanent kingdom. It's an everlasting kingdom. And we actually are invited to share in at least its part now and its fulfillment later. That, too, is the gospel. The nature of the kingdom is such that the, heal, that the broken are healed, and, and it's an enduring kingdom. That, too, is part of the gospel. So this, the kingdom of God, it's a, it's a theme of the Old Testament. God and God's anointed one coming and entering human history and establishing God's reign. And Jesus is here, and he fulfills that. He enlarges that theme. In fact, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that this is the core of Jesus' message. The kingdom of God is at hand. And here Jesus is, he's the son of man. And there's a lot of good news in the Bible. God is with us. God forgives our sins. God reveals himself and he shows us how to live. God will set things right. That's all good news. But what I'm suggesting, what I'm suggesting is that this includes those things. The kingdom of God, it includes those things. It exceeds them. Those are like towns and villages on the map. This is the map. That's the gospel of the kingdom. So that's the first observation that's driving us into this passage here in Matthew 13, the second observation, the second observation is this. The, the people in Jesus' time, they had trouble seeing it. Okay? They kept on asking that question, where is it? Where is this kingdom? Some of them wanted proof. We already heard this morning, some of them were, were troubled and they had questions and they're, come on, Jesus, like, we, give us a little bit more here. Can you give us a miracle or something? So then we know that the kingdom of God is actually here, or that you're actually the anointed one of God. They, they wanted proof. In Matthew 8, just before where we're at in Matthew 13, Matthew 8, 5 through 13, there's a centurion of all unlikely people to interact with Jesus, a Jew. He's a high-ranking official here in the Roman army, and you know the background. This is, this is the army that's occupying uh, the people of God's land at this time. He comes to Jesus, and he says to him, Lord, he meant, he called him Lord, 
he recognizes Jesus as a superior, as an authority, and he asks, this centurion does, he asks for his servant to be healed. And Jesus, he offers to come to this centurion's house and to heal the man, but no, no, the centurion says. He refuses. He's aware of his unworthiness, and, and he recognizes that he is outranked by Jesus, by the Lord. There's this chain of command here, and Jesus is at the top, and, and Jesus just says the word, and the centurion's servant is healed. Lord, Lord, he says. He makes this confession. Jesus is Lord. And I, I, just a little aside here, this, this is one of the most common confessions of the first Christians. Jesus is Lord. Okay. It is loaded. It is loaded with meaning. You might, you, might, you might greet somebody that way. You meet another Christian on the street, and you might say, he is risen, kind of a way of recognizing this is, this is the one who defeats death by death. Or you might say, he is Lord. And this is not subtle. Okay? Where Jesus is Lord, Caesar won't be. It's seen that way. There is a kingdom, and Jesus is at the top. And when this centurion, he comes, he makes this confession. There's a little irony in here, because a Roman soldier, he preaches the gospel of the kingdom. He's the first one who says it in Matthew. And he benefits from the wealth of the kingdom. And we don't know this. I'd love to know more of the story of the centurion. We don't have it. Maybe he enters it. We don't know. And the irony is that he makes that confession before the people designated to cultivate the kingdom. That is, the priests, before they do. And he makes that confession before the kind of self-designated janitors of the kingdom. That's the Pharisees before they did. They're the ones who are continuing to probe. And uh, we'd like some proof here. And we're troubled by this, Jesus. And could you show us something more? And this is our response to the kingdom, or the gospel of the kingdom. The proper response, anyway, is Jesus is Lord. We bring ourselves into contact with the kingdom. He is Lord. You'd think, you'd think maybe the Jewish leaders would have seen it, but it took a Roman centurion to point it out. Why? Well, because seeing, they did not see. And hearing, they did not hear, nor did they understand. So in this parable of the sower here, you have the sense, the word, it's being sown, the gospel of the kingdom is going out, and there's this appropriate response, Jesus is Lord, that's the right response, and the word is intended to grow and take root and be fruitful and multiply, but it wasn't for some people because they had three problems. They'd close their eyes. Not that they don't receive light into their eyes. The instrument is there. I read the words. Nothing registers. I see a sunset. It's kind of bland. I see a homeless man. I feel contempt. I'm not seeing. They hardly hear. Not that the ear is missing. 
the oracle's there, the drum is intact, these tiny bones, they're vibrating and they're exciting the cochlear nerve, sending signals to the temporal lobe, it all works, it's all there, but there isn't hearing. I hear a sermon, information, in one ear, out the other. I hear rain on the roof, Father, it's raining. I hear that a million babies are aborted every year, and I merely think, ah, that's what happens when you go away from God. Am I hearing? Their heart is calloused. I am unmoved. I don't think. I don't thirst. I no longer hunger. I don't want. What is, is. Nothing will change. I don't care. Calloused heart. So we bring ourselves, we bring ourselves to Jesus. We see him. We bow the knee. Jesus is Lord. The seed takes root. And we join with the many, many millions of Christians, living and dead, who've set their heart on the kingdom. Brings me to the third observation here. We do too. As in, we have trouble seeing the kingdom too sometimes. There's this story in um, A Scandal in Bohemia. It's uh, Sherlock Holmes. And Holmes instructs Watson on the difference between seeing and actually seeing, or seeing and observing, you might say goes like this. Um, Watson says, when I hear you give your reasons, the thing always appears to me so ridiculously simple that I could easily do it myself. Though at each successive instance of your reasoning, I'm baffled until you explain your process. And then yet I believe that my ears and eyes are as good as yours. Quite so, says Sherlock, throwing himself down into an armchair. You see, but you do not observe. The distinction is clear. For example, how many times have you seen the steps which lead up from the hall to this room? Frequently, says Watson. How often? Well, some hundreds of times. Then how many are there? How many? I don't know. Quite so. You have not observed. And yet, you have seen. That is just my point. Now, I know that there are 17 steps because I have both seen and observed. Most of us, like Watson, you know, we're not that observant. Um, Our senses, our vision, our hearing, they're very powerful. We hear and see many, many things every day. Probably too many things. Without them having a meaningful connection to the sort of seeing and hearing which is proper to the kingdom of God. Are we blind? Do we have a problem with our physical vision? Well, no, no. It's, it's a matter of our attention. It's a matter of our focus. What are we observing? What are we seeing through all the mess of details? 
So yes, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yes, Jesus is Lord. Lesser lords have to take a knee. But we continue to ask, where? Where is it? Where is this kingdom? Sometimes we wish we had proof, too. And our reading in Matthew connects with one of the enigmas of the kingdom. That is, it's established. Yes, Jesus is Lord. It's an everlasting kingdom. And it's elusive. We need to change. So two basic observations here. We have trouble seeing it. We need a way of responding. This is the first thing. We need a way of responding to the world that sees the kingdom of God around us. This is why our hearts need change. We need a way of responding that sees the kingdom of God around us. One of the, one of the interesting things about being a pilot, I didn't expect this about piloting, but you have the most interesting encounters at airports. And I don't know if this is true of you, Tony, Sean, John. Um, I, I, but I have some really interesting encounters. You meet some really interesting folks in aviation. This is one that I didn't expect. I was just flying back in from a, from a meeting in uh, southern Virginia, or central Virginia, that is, and I flew back into Meadville Airport where the plane is based, landed, uh, fueling up the plane. And I noticed on the other side of the chain link fence that separates the terminal area from uh, the, the ramp area where I was fueling up the plane, I noticed this white mid-90s pickup truck by the terminal building on the other side of the fence. And there's this agitated group of three people there. And as I'm fueling up the plane, they start to kind of call out to me. And they're, they're saying something kind of like, Mr. Pilot, sir, we need to talk with the FAA. There's a helicopter invading us. Well, that's an interesting way to get to know each other, you know. Um, I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know what they were trying to communicate here. So the, clearly, I need to listen a little bit closer. I say, oh, it's okay. Just, just come on through the fence, and uh, we can talk. I come through the gate, that is. There's a gate there. Um, and we can talk. And, and the, the man who's with the group, he responds, I don't know how to get through the gate. He says, and he's there, and he's, I start to realize, he's actually trembling, and it's not, you know, just a little, it's like this full body shake kind of trembling. Like, wow, he's really upset. Something's really bothering him. And, I, and so I, I, I answer back, like, it's, it's all right, you know, if it's all right with you, I'm just going to fuel up the plane, and I'll come through, and then, then we can talk, all right? And he's like, okay, that's fine. Thank you, Mr. Pilot, sir. And... Um, I go, I fuel up the plane and, and go through, and not without some insecurity about what, what's going to happen next. I'm not sure. I just know I need to listen a little bit, probably. Uh, and the story emerged as I talked with these three people that they, they, live, they live in a, they bought this place two or three years ago, and they live under some high tensile power lines. And, and, there's a helicopter that comes by somewhat frequently to inspect the power lines, right? And, and they, they, they saw this happen about a year ago, and their son was so alarmed, the son that was the fourth one now missing from the group, he was so alarmed by this that their sovereignty was being invaded. You know, the helicopter was there to invade them, he thought. And he, he pointed a loaded AR-15 
at the helicopter. The people in the helicopter saw this, and um, he, the son, called 911 and told the police this, that there was a helicopter, it was invading, but he drove them off with his AR-15. They came and they arrested him, right? And now it's $30,000 later in lawyer fees, and he's in jail for 23 months. Um, just that day, what the, that's the backstory, and you can look it up, something like helicopter AR-15 Meadville. That, that'll get you the article. He's in there, and he's in jail for 23 months. He's partway through his term. And the backstory here is the helicopter flew over again. They called the state police, and the state police said to them, go to the airport. Maybe somebody there can help you. you know? <laughs> but I had, I had to ask myself, as I'm walking toward the gate, I had to ask myself, you know, in these, in these faces, these people here, with their, with their faces contorted like they were by anger, by bitterness, you might say, and even, even just in their lack of understanding. You know, this happens if you're under power lines. What does it mean to see the kingdom here? What does it mean to bring a little bit of kingdom presence? And you're limited. You're limited in what you can do. There's not much you can do in an encounter like that, you know? You listen. Try to diffuse the anger a little bit. Offer some respect, which they're probably not getting anywhere. Offer a little bit of respect. Offer a teensy little bit of pushback. And a handshake. That's about all. Bring a little bit of kingdom there. So where is it? I'm going to suggest from the parable here, we can see the kingdom all over the place. We can. We can see the kingdom in the face of a stranger. We can seek it. We can see the kingdom in bruised reeds, smoldering flaxes, in sharing the joy or the sorrow of a brother and sister. It's in the good work of a straight ridgeline, the good work of a meal given in Jesus' name or a song that's sung for his glory. It's in the gathering, it's in the meeting, it's in the sending. Some of the substance of what's happening here in Matthew 13 is don't go looking for it. Don't go looking here or there or some other place. The next encounter, the next thing, somewhere out there it is. The kingdom of God is among us. That brings me to the second observation, though. To see the kingdom that way, we need to change. We need to continue to change. The gospel goes out. Jesus is Lord. His kingdom liberates and brings people to flourishing and wholeness. And it's superior to other kingdoms. But we're going to need to change to see it sometimes, won't we? I remember the first days I had um, working at, 
as an electrical control tech. It'd be sent out on service calls to farms, and you'd be met with some kind of confusing tangle of wires and circuits and uh, fuses and switches that make up the brains of the stuff I was working, heaters and fans, augers mostly. And I remember my first encounters with this. There's like, wow, there's some kind of order here, I guess. I sure can't see it because it's all confusing to me. And I, I, I was under the wing of some senior electrician for a little while, and then I was sent out on my own. And I, I could see, I could see it. The cornea, the iris, the retina, the optic nerve, they're all working just fine. But my perception was lagging. My perception was lagging. I saw, I didn't perceive, at least not at first. It got better as it went. I grew to enjoy that job. It just looked like a confusing tangle. And here with this parable, Jesus takes the kingdom from being some kind of far-off reality and makes it an immediate concern. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Don't go looking here or there. The reign of God has broken in. Jesus is Lord. And this is not some kind of dismissive, it's all good approach. There's plenty that's broken in the world. And we shouldn't be naive about that. This parable works on us. Do we see it? Where is Jesus on the move? Where is the effective reign of God's kingdom expanding? And there might be surprises sometimes. Sometimes the kingdom is seen in places where we least expand it, like in Roman centurions, neighbors with gas cans, or perhaps even really agitated people. You see what I mean? I'll finish with just a couple of illustrations here. We need, we need to become persistent seers. It's alleged that uh, Louis Agagsis, he was a leading scholar of Earth's natural history way back in the 1800s. It's alleged that he would lock a student up in a room full of turtle shells or lobster shells or oyster shells without a book or word to help them, and he wouldn't let them out until they had discovered all the truths about the object that this locker contained. And this method of his is kind of captured in this anecdote, Parable of the Sunfish by Ezra Pound. A postgraduate student came to Agagis and, you know, he was already equipped with honors and diplomas, and uh, he went to receive the final finishing touches on his Ph.D. work. And the great man offered him a small fish and told him to describe it. Postgrad student said, it's only a sunfish. Agagis said, I know that. Write a description of it. And after a few minutes, the student returned with a description of ichthys heliodoplicus, or whatever the term is, that's used to conceal the common sunfish from vulgar knowledge. It's a family of heliothinkeris, etc., and it's found like that in textbooks on the subject. And Agag says he again told the student, describe the fish. The student produced a four-page essay. Agag says, Look at the fish. And at the end of three weeks, 
The fish was in an advanced state of decay, but the student had seen it, and he described it in a way that was fitting to a gagsis. We need to learn to see, and persistently, too. We need also to become persistent hearers. The story was relayed to me by a coworker uh, some years ago of, of a Ford Mustang that went boing. Uh, a customer, they bought a new Mustang. This is in the late 80s, so it's the Fox body style. You know, they still had a frame underneath, a little bit of trouble in flexing under torque. And uh, they, they bought their new Mustang, and they brought it back to the shop, complaining that when they accelerated, it went boing. That's strange. He and an older, older co-worker, they went out and they took it for a test drive. And sure enough, they accelerated. The car went boing. My co-worker was totally baffled. But the seasoned mechanic knew exactly what was going on. He got a hammer and a punch. He had my co-worker pull the carpet out from the area that holds the, um, the, the, the spare tire in the Mustang. You know, they were kind of down in a little bit. He exposed the metal in the pan area of that, and, and with a single whack, with a punch very precisely placed by the seasoned coworker, put a tiny little dent in the pan in the space where the spare tire was kept. Took it out for another test drive. No more boring. Because this coworker of my coworker. He heard, like he really heard. When he heard that boing, he knew that he was hearing the metal in this wide, flat piece of metal back in there in the pan area where the spare tires kept. That wide piece of metal was building up stress as that Fox body Mustang kind of twisted like they did. It was building up stress, building up stress, and then release, boing. And he knew how to fix it. He knew how to fix it. They both heard, the senior mechanic understood. We need to become persistent hearers, and we need to change. We need to continue to turn, turn, turn. I, I remember uh, this visit with a doctor really, st really stuck with me. It was kind of a, we were just getting to know each other. As a new doctor, I was going in for a physical in my 30s. And he listened to my heart and lungs. It's just the stuff. He took blood pressure. He talked about lifestyle a little bit and some of the books we were reading and things. And it was a fine visit, I thought. He noticed, he noticed also that these standards change, I know, but he noticed that I was what he called pre-hypertensic. My blood pressure was not yet high, but it had the potential to go high. And he left me with this. He left me with this. Your 30s, he said, he said, Kyle, your 30s are when you decide whether you're going to enjoy your 60s. I heard him. I heard him. I understood with my heart, you might say. I love life, and, and I want to live well into my 60s if I have anything to say about that. I heard. I understood. 
And to a degree, anyway, I, I changed. Since then, I've worked to keep cardio in my life, just exercise three times a week, perhaps, and walking, biking, part of my routines whenever I get the chance. Like, I could drive to work, and sometimes I'll, I prefer to bike. It's a small thing, but it, it, I heard, I heard I needed to change. I'll just leave you with this scripture from Matthew 13. And I mean this as something of a blessing here, too. It's my wish for you, so let's, let's I'll read this prayerfully and invite you to pray with me here. Lord, I pray for these people here at Wellspring that they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears understand with their heart, turn, and that you would heal and continue to heal them. So I pray for you that you go, you treasure the kingdom, and that the strength of the Father, the presence of the Son, the breath of the Spirit, and the love that binds them together will be yours. Amen.